Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, as you know, we moved from the city up to the ranch, the bulk of our items in the house. I swore after that move I was never going to buy anything that wasn't a tool, did not go into my stomach or into my head, such as in memories. So when I got moved up here, all my electronic gadgets and hobby stuff got shoved into a room. (laughs) I've been going through that room and pulling out my old projects, and I came across the project that I was working on, well, well over a year ago, which was an Arduino Man Overboard SOS light. And I finally finished the prototype, and I just updated the web page, the SOS web page. So if you go to the website, medsailor.com, and type in the, uh, just type in SOS in search, or go through the pages and find the SOS Arduino light, you can see the finished circuits. But I do not have a case for it. So I'm trying to figure out what sort of, uh, I mean, I could throw this all in a mason jar and, and then have that work. But I want something different than that. I want a, a very good waterproof case that I can put this in and change the batteries as needed. Now, the cost on this, just for the parts works out to be about seven dollars maybe eight dollars for parts and that's just for the electronics that does not include the case which i have not designed and i would like to have some help out there on suggestions for a case if you're a hobbyist or an engineer or have um, the ability to design uh, 3d printing i think i I found a 3d uh, printed um, clear ball that would work for this but I want to make something that really fits what I'm looking for reach out to me because I need some help on this project Franz1 at medsailor.com so the competitor is the Weems and Plath C1001 SOS distress light which is a day signal flag and all it is is a an LED that flashes SOS and to pay for that is basically $89.99 plus shipping. So you're going to be in it over $100. I own one of these. And that's what made me start thinking that, hey, maybe I should just try to build my own and have several of them. And so that's what took me down this path. And also, it's a very basic project for an Arduino. If you're like me, that you like playing with microcontrollers, this one would be... uh, a good project to get started on. I've included the code, the Arduino code at the page, the, the circuit, and lots of pictures. So anybody that wants to get into Arduino programming and developing some simple circuits, this is a, about as simple as it gets. So if I can do it, anybody can do that. I'm a very novice as far as coding in Arduino. But I found it fun to build this, and I'm just trying to figure out how to build the case that this goes into. So anybody that has a suggestion, reach out to me, franz1 at medsailor.com. All right. Today, we are going to have an interview with Nick Hathaway. But before we get on to that interview, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. Looking for a sewing machine that's both portable and powerful? 
look no further than the legendary Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1. Take it to the marina, store it on your boat. The Ultrafeed goes where you go. This high-performing, heavy-duty machine sews both in zigzag and straight stitch. The Ultrafeed can handle your toughest jobs with absolutely zero loss of power or skip stitches. It breezes through up to 10 layers of Sunbrella canvas and 8 layers of Dacron sailcloth. With the most dependable all-metal internal components, the Ultrafeed is a piece of well-engineered machinery that's built to last. Sailrite has been building the Ultrafeed for over 20 years. This tried and true powerhouse machine comes with a 5-year limited warranty and the best customer service in the industry. The machines are assembled, fine-tuned, and tested at Sailrite's manufacturing facility by a team of highly trained technicians. Every machine is calibrated and tested before it's shipped to guarantee both smooth operation and machine quality. Take your sewing skills to the next level with the Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1 sewing machine. I'm on Skype with Nick Hathaway and Aaron Maxwell. They are located in, uh, in, in Split, Croatia, as I recall, right now. And you run a charter company called 45 Degrees Sailing. And I wanted to talk to you about your operation and what you're seeing. So, Nick, introduce yourself. Tell us how you learned how to sail, your background. And the same with you, Aaron, okay? Excellent. All right. So, hi, uh, my name's Nick, 45 Degrees Sailing. Um, I'm from New Zealand, small town in New Zealand. We, uh, I grew up inland without, without sailing or yachts or anything like that. Uh, I learned to sail. I got thrown onto a race with my father um, in the Bay of Islands. And uh, he, he had sailed a bit when he was younger. And this friend of his who had a 30-foot 30 30 yacht called Native, um, they used to race a bit. So I got thrown onto that and we did the Bay of Islands Racing Week. And I absolutely loved it. So I was like fish to water. It all made sense. And I just started sailing as much as I could. From there, I started looking to buy a yacht. I bought a yacht a year later and then just went out, went racing, um, everything I could really. Um, I just absolutely loved it. It kind of it took over It took over every weekend. And then um, a year after that, I started teaching sailing in Wellington in New Zealand. Um, and it's kind of just snowballed from there. From there, we uh, – my – I went and spent a season in the Caribbean, um, sailing for a, an American summer camp over there. Um, loved that. That was just an incredible experience. Um, got me into into bigger boats, which was great. Sort of jumped up from 25 and 30 foot yachts, and all of a sudden, and I'm I'm in 55 foot yachts. So that was a that was a, um, a baptism by fire <laughs> of such, and. Since then, it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster. I've been to China. I did a racing together in China. We lived there for a year. Um, back to so we raced out of Sydney, Australia, um, with the CYCA the Cruising Club there. I taught taught racing there for a while, and um, then kind of ended up in Croatia, <laughs> uh, where we thought, right, we actually want to stay here. All right. So now you ended up in Croatia. Did you start your own charter company? Yeah, so 45 Degrees Sailing was kind of born probably 10 years ago as just an idea in my head um, during all of the instructing and teaching I was doing. And uh, I, I started building it from there, but it never really actually took took roots until we got to Croatia. And so 
we we did a season here um, through another company. They asked us to work for them. Um, um, and my wife and I came over. We did that season here, not expecting anything of, of it. We just thought, yeah, this is a cool opportunity. We actually wanted to start our company in the Caribbean. That's what we'd fallen in love with. But that all changed. We got to Croatia and we just we just fell head over heels for um for the people here and for the islands. And it was it was kind of we had been traveling for a four or five years and had said to each other, you know, is there anywhere else other than Wellington in New Zealand, which is our absolute love affair of a city with all it has. There was nowhere else we could agree that we wanted to stay. My wife wanted to be in China and I wanted to be skiing and different things. And um, when we got to Croatia and to Split, we uh, we kind of said, you know what, I think we're agreed. So, Aaron, are you are you two married? Uh, no, Nick is my cousin. Okay, <laughs> okay. I just, I'm just trying to figure and out the uh, the relationship here. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, Nick's, Nick's my cousin, and really, I wanted to introduce you guys because he has got so much great sailing experience, and I, I'm really only just starting to be perfectly honest. A lot of that is Nick's influence and helping to get me started, and uh, I've been on a couple of ventures with him recently, which he's going to tell you about. Um, but yeah, I'm fairly new in the sailing arena, um, whereas Nick has been doing it all of his life, which is what I thought you guys might want to talk about today. Oh, that sounds great. I, yeah. now I, I'm zooming in. I've got Google Earth open. <clears throat> this is my typical modus operandi. I like to uh, zoom in on where you're located right now. So tell me where your charter base is. I've got it zoomed into Split. Are you in Split or are you over in Troger? Where are you at? Uh, in the middle, so Marina Karstella, there's a spot called um, Karstel Gomlitsa, which is um, uh, there's a yeah. what's called the city of Karstella, which basically extends between Split and Tsovia. And we are in um, in Karstel Gomlitsa, where the marina the, is. So we we charter our boats out of there, and um, and we live just up the road in Karstel Kambalovac. Okay. Yep. I've zoomed in on the marina, so that's. Uh, it looks like a pretty. It looks like a fairly large marina. A couple, actually, a couple different marinas there. It looks like. Is that correct? Uh, it's actually. It's. It's basically only one. Um, there's two sides to it, though, because the local boats, um, smaller operation. Well, not operation. The more the local boats, the owners. Uh, it was the original fishing port. Kind of a good thing and a sad thing. They. they basically just kept on getting muscled over and out of their area as the marina grew because the marinas must be 450, I think 400 boats now. I have to check on one of my videos. I've done a video on the marina, which has got that stat, but um, about 400 charter yachts are in there and the local boats just kind of kept on losing their space. So now over by the travel lift and the boatyard, they have the local boats um, and there is a brand new sailing uh, club there now as well. Uh, where they can run um, a lot of dinghy boats and things into the ramps. And then you've got the commercial side of the marina uh, where Aaron's new boat is um, on this side, uh, on our side, so the northern side. And it's, uh, it's yeah, basically one operation, though. All right, so I'm looking there. So there is a full boat yard. Do, do a lot of people store their boats there in the winter? Not really. There's um, Because it's hugely a charter base um, operation, at this marina, it's uh, boats go up, but it's more like that's charter boat, dry storage, or working zone. So there are some that that 
sit out there during the winter um, on regular, but probably only, I'd say, a dozen or two that are that are private boats that sit out for the winter. The rest is all um, boatyard working and maintenance. Okay. So not a good place to consider wintering my boat on the hard then, necessarily. I don't think so, no. I mean, price-wise and things, the... The yearly price for the marina isn't too bad. Um, around about, it's like might be 600 euros a month if you pay up front a year in advance, um, depending on the size of your boat. But um, it's it is quite an expensive place when you, especially when you get into the summer season. And anything short of, of putting your boat in there for a year is um, is pretty expensive. Okay. Okay. All right, so let's talk about the starting of the company, and uh, I like this. I like to progress, uh, especially entrepreneurs like yourself. How did you get started? Tell us the story. Well, um, basically, after starting teaching in, in New Zealand, it was it was strange. Like I I didn't grow up sailing or anything like that. Um, I've been around water a lot of my life, but I didn't start sailing until I was about twenty one, and I was working for my family's business in, um, in central New Zealand, um, driving trucks and growing trees and things like that. Business was winding down there. I was doing a bit of work in a bar, and I'd been doing this sailing. And so I was walking down the waterfront one day thinking, oh, yeah, what am I going to do today? Because uh, all these businesses were winding down. And I saw the sailing school. This is the Royal Port Nicholson Yacht Club Sailing School, Sailing Academy. And, uh, and I walked in, and the guy was on the phone. Um, so I just sort of waited around, had a conversation with the 10 minutes. His name was Matt Wood, great guy actually. Um, he was running the Sailing Academy at the time. And I said to him, hey, I'm, this is me, I'm, this is what I'm doing. I really would like to do a course and learn how to sail properly. And he, he spoke to me a little bit more and then he said, well, I think at your level, the courses probably aren't going to serve you, but if you started working for us, then you'd probably learn a lot more. And I kind of just caught that in my throat. I was like, hang on a minute, are you going to pay me to go sailing? Uh, <laughs> That was my job interview. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Um, so, uh, yeah. So within a year, it actually within a year of that, I was working there almost full time, and then another year after that, I was the lead instructor, and I was uh, close on not running the place. I wasn't the manager, but I was I was very fully involved, and that was um, that was really cool for me. So it was it was a strange decision to say we're gonna, I'm going to leave this. Because it was kind of perfect. I could sail whenever I wanted. I had these modern racing yachts and things that I could that I choose. I could choose the courses I ran down to the South Island to do cruising courses for overnights, all of that. But being in New Zealand, it's all a little bit smaller, and I just wanted a bit more, and we still wanted to travel. So uh, I took off to the Caribbean, and that's, that's really where 45 Degrees Sailing started. I did a season there, did the summer season there, and went, okay, I, I want to do something different here. I want to create these courses for people, not courses, these holidays where they can learn. Because having having taught people for so many years, I realized that there's actually a lot of stress involved in doing those courses. Like if you have a four-week course where you do one Sunday every, you know, every four weeks, and by the end of it, you need to have learned this and cover this and pass this test. Um, when you're working full time and maybe you've got a family, all that, it's, it's actually, it just adds another stress level to that learning. And as much as you might get the skills at the time to pass and get the qualification, the experience is, um, I think, is lacking. So when I started creating these holidays, we created these one-week holidays. It was all built around learn to sail. 
but without any qualification. So you would come along for me after you've got your qualification or before, and we'd take you on a holiday maybe with your family, uh, maybe as a couple, as one of the three cabins, and you would learn all of the sailing while on holiday and doing practical experience 24-7 on board, um, but without the stress of having to worry about whether you passed or failed or how much work you had to do. Okay, okay. So, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of where it started. So I started building all the websites and everything. Life went on, and I had other jobs, and we worked in Sydney and China and all that. And then it finally came to fruition once we got to Croatia because we were like, okay, we can do this here. And we started marketing. We, we got our first few clients and, um, and decided, yep, we're going to be here for the, for the summer season. We didn't have a lot of work, uh, but we managed to pull off about six or seven weeks with clients and um, and from there it was the repeat business all came from referrals and people talking about it so we were able to stay here full time and just wanted to keep building it from there. Let's talk about how did you finance your boats? Did you uh, have your have your customers finance them like a lot of companies do, where you manage the boats and uh, and then and then you share the revenues with the owners of the boats. Or did you go get a bank loan and buy your boats? What was that process like? Neither. Neither of the above. None of that. Um, we don't own any boats. Oh, okay. We have no leases. We have we have no boats. So part of this was because I wanted to be able to, in the beginning, it was because I wanted to be able to tailor the right trip for the right family or the right skippers or whatever. So we would talk to them about which boats we recommend and then say this is why, if it's family because of this reason, or air conditioning because of the young child and you want to come in August, or you know smaller boat because you really want to learn to sail, so you're going to go on to something about 40 feet, so like that. So it made no sense to buy a boat at that point. Um, and then I started getting into Hansa yachts, which I really enjoy, and I've reviewed a number of them now. They're um, probably my favorite charter yacht. No, I'd say they're my favorite charter yacht at the moment. And because we were managing to review these boats and do YouTube videos on them, we also really got a great taste for brand new boats. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it made even more sense from there, even though we don't use so many different boats now, we have almost, we don't really charter boats that are more than two years old. If, if anything, the last two years, we've basically spent the entire seasons on brand new boats. So that was a nice little cherry on the top of not owning a boat and being able to it, it meant we had to book our customers a long time in advance, which was tougher on a sales point. But um, at the same time, it meant we could really have a, a high quality product on the best boats and, and really enjoy it ourselves as well. Okay, so if I understand so, okay, so if I understand this, then you recommend the boat that your 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 clients, charter and then you go out and be with them on the charter and teach them to sail and uh, and they pay for your fees and the boats is that correct kind of i'll, I'll sum it up a bit better because i got away with myself because i got excited about new boats um, <laughs> <laughs> basically if a client comes to us or we find a client a family that's weird calling them clients we find a family that wants to go sailing they we just quote them their trip and we used to choose the boat based on, on that. 
we now have basically two sizes of boat that we take, which is a 58-foot Hansa, a 5.8 or a 55-foot Hansa. And so they pay one price to us, which includes absolutely everything that they will come across on that week on the boat, except their dinners ashore and alcohol if they choose to have it. So all of the docking fees, all of the fuel, everything, like we got really annoyed seeing companies saying no hidden costs and all inclusive when it was not, and that was not true. So all of that is included. So then we charter the boat, we take the insurance for the boat, we sort out all of the provisioning and get it on board. We sort out the charter company, check in and check out. All of this we take on and do it ourselves. All you've got to do is show up at the airport and our guys pick you up and bring you to your holiday. Okay, so you are the, you're the one that's on the line for the boat yourself then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you, they don't have to worry about uh, uh, deposits or maintenance or damage that might be done to the boat or anything else. They just get on the boat and get off the boat then. That's the one. That's the one. I mean, of course, we have um, a built-in. It's an agreement with this, their um, terms and conditions. Of course, if they mistreat that vessel or their cabin or, you know, they bang things around, they are going to be liable for that. But that's um, it's actually never happened. Yeah, I was going to say. So yeah, that's, that's good. Okay, so that never really has happened then. Okay, I'm subscribing to your YouTube channel right now. Cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Aaron, I actually found your original email, and I apologize for not remembering, but you're one of my Patreons. Ah, <laughs> uh, geez, Franz. <laughs> yeah, no problem at all. I've, uh, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, actually. really loved them. It was one of the things that uh, motivated me to go and get my own boat. So yeah. you, you've been a big part of it, as has Nick. Yeah, and I guess you have a Bavaria 46 then. Is that right? Um, yes, which sadly oh. I have, I am now the owner of, but I can't even go and visit it because here in Croatia the marina is uh, is closed at the moment and even yeah. though she's only like two kilometres away, I can't even go and yeah. get on board her and, and say hello. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, she's been a long time coming and we're really looking forward to the time that I can actually get on her and go for a sail. Uh, who knows when that's going to be. Well, I'm um, I'm recording this on, on April second, two thousand twenty, and we're in the midst of this Corona crisis. I'm not sure when this will be released, so this will give some people some perspective on the time when we're talking about this. But I just was looking through uh, Nick's YouTube videos, and I see one of the videos four days ago of you uh, in a mask cruising into cr- cr- crossing the border into quarantine. So talk, talk to us about that. So, um, so a bit of backstory. We have, I picked up a, a winter gig picking up a brand-new Lagoon 42 catamaran from Les Sables de Lon of France, uh, and we, did, we were sailing that back to Croatia. It was coming to Marina Karstela, to our base. So um, that was a job I was doing, and I recruited some crew for that, but I also got, you know, I said, right, Aaron, you should come along. This is great. Yay. Great, um, <laughs> great experience to be able to do this. So, um, so we had our crew, two newbies and two sailors, which was great. A friend of mine came from New Zealand, uh, came all the way over for it. And long story short, we can talk about that stuff later, but we basically on the 9th of March, we're sailing up the coast of Italy 
and hear about, obviously we've been dealing with this coronavirus stuff the whole time, and hear that tomorrow, 10th of March, Italy's going into lockdown. And we're like, oh, great. So we, I actually, at 9.30 in the morning, I decided, because I've been sailing nonstop for about six days now, uh, down the coast of Italy, and I decided, right, we need to go back. So we choose to go back to the closest port we could exit from, and I went into a port called Crotone, on the um, uh, eastern eastern coast of Italy. Uh, we're still about three and a half days from Croatia at this point. Um, and we got our clearance out. So we wanted to stop in there to get our clearance out. We were very nervous that we wouldn't get the clearance out because, of course, they'd just gone into lockdown. So that was, um, that was interesting. We stopped in this port. We got met by a... Um, actually, everyone else was downstairs asleep, weren't they? Yeah. Um, I was I was upstairs and coming to this last last point, and I just dropped the mainsail and I was cruising it under autopilot. And this uh, harbour, not harbour, sorry, like coastal police, basically, Valencia boat came out and met me and gave me some broken conversation in Italian and English, um, basically trying to say where have you come from and where are you heading, what's your plan? And I'm saying I'm going into the port here at Clotone. I need to clear out. Um, um, and for some reason, the driver of this boat couldn't keep alongside a yacht doing three and a half knots, um, or a catamaran doing three and a half knots in a straight line in calm seas. So they kept on drifting away from me and then coming back. So conversation was terrible. Eventually, they, they got the picture that I was going into port and gave up, and they, they drove off. So, okay, so I went into port, and they came and met us on the dock after we were parked there. Um, so we then did the police check stuff and cleared um, and got you know, permission to stop there. They did passport checks and all of that. And I said, right, we just want to leave now. We want to get clearance and leave. And they said, oh, country's gone into lockdown. I'm like, oh, yeah, we know. <laughs> so um, we got that clearance and wandered up. They said, you'll have to go to the Coast Guard building. So we went to the Coast Guard. And the first guy told us, um, and they were all wearing masks, hand sanitizer at the door, don't come too close sort of stuff. The, the town felt strange, actually. It was it was the weirdest feeling, um, especially after the whole month, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was really a bit ominous, actually. Yeah. We were really keen to get in and get out. Yeah. So um, the first guy told us, oh, no, you can't do that today. You'll have to come back tomorrow. The guy's not here. And I'm thinking, hang on, we're in a three-, four-story building that's like a huge compound. There's got to be someone else that can clear us out of the country. Um, that that took about 45 minutes, and we were stoked because we, we walked out of there with clearance out of the country. We don't know how, but we managed to get it. So we had our crew list and we had our clearance. Um, so we got some fuel through a number of phone calls because no one wanted to deal with anyone and pump fuel because of the coronavirus. And then we managed to leave that night and head to Croatia. Um, so then on the 14th, on the 13th of March... We managed to we crossed the border into Croatia. We had to stay within 12 nautical miles of the coast the entire trip because of the insurance rating on the yacht. It was very very frustrating. So we crossed through Palagruja from um, a spot in Italy called Vienci and up through the farthest out island of Croatia called Palagruja, which only has a lighthouse keeper and his money on it. And we were in the country, which was great. Be home after 40 days. Um, and I had to call, you get a text message on your phone as soon as you get into service there, you had to call 112 to find out about, uh, to, to register the fact that you've come in and if you've come in from Italy or anywhere, you need to tell us straight away. 
We knew this. We'd been in contact with a number of different people to say, where are we supposed to go? Because the laws in Croatia, when you cross over from another country, you're supposed to go to your closest port of entry, which makes sense. And in this case, it would have been on the island of Lastov. Um, okay, hold on, hold on. Now, it's a, okay, I gotta, I'm kind of confused here. So you said you had to stay within 12 miles of the coast your entire trip from France? Yes. <laughs> How long did that take us? How many miles was it? <laughs> <laughs> when, I accepted, you know, when I accepted the job, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do this. That, that pays about right. Um, it'll be 2,500 miles at most, and, um, and it'll take about three and a half weeks. Three weeks, yeah. Four weeks is my contingency. Um, and then I found out about this stipulation, and that was a shame. But I was like, okay, we're going to do this trip anyway. So we ended up sailing 3,500 nautical miles, and it took us 40 days with all the weather changes and different things that happened. So where did you pick the boat up from in France then? Uh, Le Sable de Lod, which is um, on the north coast of the Bay of Biscay. Oh wow! So you had to go around the uh, around Portugal and uh, into the Straits of Gibraltar. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. All the way up the coast of Spain, um, and then right through the coast of France. Which oh man, that was a crappy night. Um, and then down down the coast of Italy, up the coast of Italy, <laughs> um, and then across into Croatia. All right. So I'm I'm zooming down. I'm zoomed in on northern Italy. So. Where did you cross from? I'm zooming in here. And uh, uh, what town did you clear out of? Because I'm looking here. I see. Just south of Ancona, there's a, where the, you point the, the, the port of Italy that sticks out like a nipple and is closest to Croatia is called yeah. Vieste. Okay. Yeah, that's where we crossed over from. Because if you, you have to zoom right in, but you might see um, there's one small island which is in the Italian waters, and then there's another one which is in Croatian, which is called Palagruja. Okay. okay. Yeah. So that that point there, we can cross through from Italy to Croatia. Okay. So that was within 12 miles of the coast, then. All those islands you could well, hop across. Yeah. So you've got to you've got to you can take in all of the islands to account, but within 12 miles, effectively, of dry land. So, yeah, that's that, I can tell you. Those two islands are 23.9 nautical miles apart. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a saving grace, wasn't it? We didn't really want to have to sail no. all the way up to the very north. Of yeah, Italy, we had to go to Valencia, then to Slovenia, and down. Oh, it would have broken my heart. It was already breaking my heart that we weren't heading towards home for most of the trip. <laughs> Okay, so so where would have been your normal clear import? You told me already, but it's, it slipped my mind. I'm zooming in here. So Lastovo, L-A-S-T-O-V-O. Lastovo, there you um, go. Yeah, Ostrotek Lastovo. Yeah, yeah, I've been, uh, have I been there? I think, I, no, I'm not sure I've been there. I don't think I've been to Lastovo. Okay, so that's where you would have cleared in then. Yeah, that's the normal spot. And um, we'd heard another catamaran, because I was in touch with a few people that um, from another charter base that was getting delivered. They had stopped in at last of all, um, and they'd been moved on to Vis uh, no, to Korchula. Okay. Um, they'd been said, no, you have to go to Korchula and clear in there. And they actually had to go, I heard they had to get a test done, um, had to be tested, go to the local 
Well, there's like a pandemiology. I can't even remember the word. I felt like they'd made it up just this year. Um, yes. Someone who deals Epi with um, epidemiology. Yeah, ep 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 whatever. <laughs> to um, to get tested, and then they had to go um, back to the base. And we thought they might have to quarantine there on the yacht for two weeks. So it was all very unknown what we were going to do. So we just needed to keep in touch with as many people and let as many know as possible. So it was actually really good. I called 112, which is the emergency number, like, um, one here, um, and they just, because I was instructed to, so they directed me to someone and I spoke to them and they said, okay, I said, look, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go here? I need to get to Split Karstella. Um, where do you want me to check in? Because I understand you might not want me to go to the islands. Uh, they were really good. He's like, look, I'm not sure. I'm going to call you back. This was at 11.45 at night um, and I got the call back at 2 in the morning. So it was it was really good that they were keeping on to it. Um, but long story short there, after a few phone calls, they said, no, we want you to go straight to Split and check in um, on the police dock there at Split and then we'll see where we go from there. So the communication was really, really good once we got into the country. Um, so we sailed through the night. We're also very low on fuel. <laughs> I spent so much extra money on fuel on this trip, I just did not want to. Catamarans are not good for fuel. Um, and What were we doing at the end of it? Like, Oh, we were, we were doing about two knots through the night. <laughs> because, um, yeah, I just, we didn't need to get there early because it was overnight and um, the wind had died right down. So we were up and down on the wind, but we cruised in. The police boat, we were out at, we were, there's a spot we call the split gates. Franz, have you, you've sailed in Croatia, have you? Oh, a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So do you know what I mean by the split gates between islands Brach and Scholte? All right, so let me zoom in here. Brach and Scholte. Um, Brach, which one's Brach? So if it's directly out from split, um, there's a small gap. It's probably 600, oh, 500 meters across um, between these two long, long islands, and we call that the split gates. The okay. Gates to get to split. I didn't know. Um, I yeah. didn't know that's called the split gates, but uh, yeah. yeah. I let's see. Okay, so Broch is right next to Havar, isn't it? Just that next island over from Havar, isn't it? Is yep. Broch. Yeah. Okay. In between Havar and the mainland. Yeah. Okay. So the okay. So, oh, okay. That's what you call it between. Brock and that other island to the north. What's the name of that one? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you call the split gates. Okay. Split. I've sailed through there many times. That's I didn't know that was what it was called though. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably not a. It's not a written name as such. More of a of a local name around here. So. So we were sailing up in there, and I was actually. Uh, it was a beautiful day. Like, it was funny. We commented how um, how different it felt to be back in Croatian waters. Like the smell was different. The color of the water was, was deeper and bluer and it just felt good. And I think that's probably because we felt like we're coming home as well. But, um, it was just such a stunning day. It was very little wind. We'd just been cruising along there and we're all lying out on the, um, on the nets on the front of the catamaran and I actually just put the drone up to, um, to take some footage of this yacht and just have some fun. And, um, this boat comes speeding up to us and I, and <laughs> We made a quip that we thought, oh, my gosh, it's a Croatian skipper that's actually obeying the give-way laws <laughs> because he was going behind us. But no, no, it was a police boat that was coming to see us. <laughs> so they'd seen us on AAS, and they'd come up to see us and, and stopped, and we had a chat. Meanwhile, my drone's buzzing around in the air, which was good. 
and um, and they were like, right, where have you come from? Blah blah blah. And I said, look, we've, we're heading to here. We've been in touch with someone, and they're like, oh yeah, they radioed into to split and said, oh good, no, they're um, they're looking, they're expecting you, so they'll be waiting, um, which was great. And I said to them, we're just going slow because I don't think we've got much fuel left. And they were really helpful. They were like, are you sure you've got enough fuel? We can help you out, you know. So um, so that was great. So we we got the drone in and um, put the engines on, started heading in after them, had a good sail into Split, and then they met us again at the um, entrance to Split just to double-check we were okay and we had enough fuel. And they took us into the dock um, at Split. So that's where you see that photo of us with our masks on. We docked at the ferry dock. Um, which is, uh, it's a quarantinable area and split there. So we pulled up alongside on the big ferry pontoon and, um, and they, they did help us with our lines, which was good. Um, uh, but he handed us three masks and asked us to put those on. And, um, the guy was wearing gloves and a mask and, um, said, right, you put those on bring your documents and, and come in. So we did that and we followed them in and we went through the process of just chatting about what it, where we'd come from, what had happened, um, what we planned to do. Of course, because we're foreigners, we're all, all foreigners, New Zealand passports, all three of us, my wife, Mahina, Erin and I, uh, which was just the three of us left on the boat at that point because we dropped off a crew member in Italy who surprisingly got back to New Zealand. Um, so they were like, you know, what are your plans after this, things like that. So we filled out these forms in Croatian and – um, said, yep, we want to quarantine at home. This was our biggest fear is that we'd have to quarantine at a um, at a facility uh, in Croatia instead of being able to just go home and do it at home. Um, but they... That, it, it sounded like it at first, didn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. It felt like that's the way that it was going to go. And so after talking to them, but we were really lucky that they agreed to let us quarantine at home. Yeah, which was great, which was great. So, um, so we filled in those forms. Um, and then they said, okay, cool, you're going to go there, you'll get a police escort from, the police will meet you at the marina, um, and they'll take you back to the house, um, they'll escort you back to the house, um, then you need to stay inside, and we were surprised, though, they didn't test us at all, they didn't take our temperature, they didn't, they didn't really no. do anything. We had to fill in a form that asked if we had any symptoms. Yeah. Which, of course, like we were all very healthy, so the answer was no, which was great. Maybe they would have done something different if we had yeah. indicated symptoms. But Yeah. Um, so yeah. that all happened. We jumped back on the boat, and um, the police escorted us around to to Karstella, which is about 45 minutes. Um, and then we, we sailed into – the funny thing was we got a call from our um, the agent, the charter company that we were bringing the boat back for – they said we're going to meet you um, at the at the travel lift because the marina staff at Marina Karstella were not going to lift the lines for us um, because of the coronavirus because we come from Italy. So we had to go and park the boat in a different area where the travel lift is and leave it there. So it turned out that um, Robert and Sarah from No Yachting they met us there. Uh, Anna and Michael, my wife Martina's parents who live over here as well with us in Croatia, they met us as well with the van and we. We got to go home from there, so we unloaded all that stuff and came home. And then we had a car escort. <laughs> yeah, police, a police escort. car escort. So that was our entering, entering and crossing the border into Croatia by sea story. Wow, that's a, that's quite an adventure. <laughs> now let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. So I, I, I do you have? Are you supposed to clear out of Italy before going into 
into Croatia. I mean, you're one, you're going from a, uh, a Schengen country into a non-Schengen country. And I was talking yes. to Andrew Vick, and he said, I never worry about it. I just sail in and clear in, in in Croatia. And I'm getting confused by you needing to clear out of Italy. So uh, it depends on a few things. Technically, the laws say, and I'll, I'll try and get this as correct as I remember reading it just recently. Um, if a non-EU boat is entering Croatia, they need clearance from the country that they left, period. Um, if an EU boat with EU citizens is entering, then it's fine. You you don't need to you don't need to clear out. You can just clear into Croatia. We are even an EU boat, but we are non-EU citizens, being from New Zealand, going from Schengen to a non-Schengen. We need a clearance out. Now, to be completely honest, I don't think it would have been an issue at all had we not had clearance. Um, on a normal in normal circumstances, um, but given given the situation and um, the other uh, the other kind of unique thing about doing a delivery like this is the boat's brand new. It has very little, if any, documentation. Um, the boat doesn't have a, a proper a proper registration number. Um, like literally, it doesn't have a name. As such, it simply has a hull number, and I have a temporary sailing permission. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, um, temporary sailing permission um, to sail this boat based on whoever owns it. Okay, so I, I guess I'm looking at it from my perspective. So I sail up the Croatian coast uh, last year, sa- uh, mm-hmm. cleared out of uh, Croatia in Umag, cleared into um, into Slovenia. At Peron, and then uh, then I sailed on over to Italy, and put my boat on the hard in Monfalcone, Monfalcone, and I asked him, "Do I need to do anything? Is there any customs I need to do?" He said, that, "No, no, no, no problems at all." So I I, I never yeah. cleared into Monfalcone or into Italy, and I never cleared out of Slovenia, yeah. and so I guess I'm totally at a loss as to what the <laughs> rules are over there. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, and I, mean, I think when also, what what month was that? Uh, oh, that would have been uh, probably August last summer. You're in you're in peak summer season. Um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of boats everywhere, um, and if you're not looking suspect or causing any trouble or you know everything else is in line, no one really cares. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's it's more it's more a case of that. Um, that's not to say that um, we were looking suspect or anything like that. Obviously, with the um, COVID-19 situation, that, that has you run on high alert. So I wanted to make sure I had all of everything I might need. Okay. Um, uh, but, yeah, technically, by the rules, because we're non-EU citizens clearing out of Schengen, we needed clearance for that. So when we left France, um, this was also unknown because most, most delivery skippers are usually EU citizens in this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the Croatian, whatever. So they, they don't have to worry about this. But I asked the guys, I'm like, hey, so I need to clear out of France. And they're like, why? <laughs> because I'm a New Zealand citizen and I'm in the Schengen zone. So um, so we had to drive, um, we were in uh, Les Sables. We had to go into the customs office and get clearance out just in case, one, we went all the way to Croatia, or two, we had to stop in Gibraltar. Anything that was non-Schengen that we had to end up in, we needed an exit stamp in our passport. 
Okay. We didn't end up in Gibraltar anyway, though, did we? No, we just, not like, we, we, we flew through there not real fast. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I, guess, I guess I've got an exit stamp in my passport from flying out of Italy. I guess that's where my ex- – well, actually, I never flew out of Italy. Yeah. I flew from Italy up to – Germany, Germany to the Netherlands, and then flew out from the Netherlands. So I guess that's where my exit stamp comes from. But as far as the boat goes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, as far as the boat goes, it never cleared into Italy, you know, and because I wasn't told I needed to by the yeah. boat yard. So that's what confuses me. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. The boat. And where is your boat flagged? It's a U.S. It's a U.S. vessel. Okay. I would have expected it to need clearance. Like when I sailed, I had to do, we do this run every now and then from Montenegro up to Dubrovnik and then back if um, someone is picking up sales and they want to save on the tax or the, the VAT, there's a there's a bylaw that if you pick them up from sea and then sail them into um, sail them into Montenegro, then you don't have to pay VAT on it. So we do that job every now and then. Um, and the clearance I had to get from Montenegro up to Dubrovnik and then back. That was that was big. Um, it took me. Oh yeah. There's yeah. actually um, you can have a look at that if you want to. There's a YouTube video on my on my vlog called. Um, geez, it must be it must be down under under number twenty or something like that called um, border crossing or crossing the border. And yeah. that's um, that's about the day I spent the half morning I spent going back and forth and back and forth between different places to get our clearance to sail out of Montenegro. Yeah, I've I've gone into Montenegro many times, and Montenegro is a little country with a lot of bureaucracy. So, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Because that's what I, that's where I go to uh, to get out of the VAT. That's where I go to start my VAT yeah. time over again. Now I don't know what's going to happen this year. If I can't go sailing this year, uh, I don't, I'll, I'll have been in the EU more than eighteen months uh, without any ability to get out of the EU because flights aren't flying in and uh, and yeah yeah. Now let We're me ask. Time and. and- Montenegro is somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, but I was told by um, Keith Harvey uh, that runs the, the, the Sunsail base down in Dubrovnik that you yep. can start the time clock over by sailing into Croatia, uh, clearing out of Croatia, or just sailing into Croatia from international waters starts the time clock over again. Just getting into international waters starts the time clock over again. Really? Yeah, he said you can sail out, what is it, 15 miles offshore and uh, yeah. turn around and come back in. And they're watching you on AIS, so you clear out of Croatia, you sail out yeah. 15 miles, you turn around, and you come back and clear back into Croatia, and that ca- that counts as uh, leaving the, uh, the EU. Wow. Wow. Oh, hopefully. Hopefully that, that, that works then. Well, let me know if you need someone to sail your boat to Dubrovnik or something because we're, we're here and we're probably not going to have a lot to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my plan this year was to sail down the entire uh, the, the eastern coast of Italy and then hop on over to uh, Albania and start it over in Albania and then work right. our way on down. But uh, If I were you, I'd just sail down the coast of Croatia again. It was really boring. Going up the eastern coast of Italy. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, it, it's. We didn't do the full east coast of Italy. No, oh, but from. We, we only went up yeah, to. Yeah. What was it? Vieste? Vieste, yeah. Vieste looked really cute. Really cool. I, I do want to sail back to Vieste, but everything south of that. Um, oh, man. It was just. 
it's just bo- I mean, I, I'm, I'm very lucky. I live in Croatia. We have a thousand islands more. Um, you know, there's a lot of variation, and it's it's all it's all gorgeous. Whereas yeah. sailing down the the eastern coast of Spain and the eastern coast of Italy, south of Ancona, was just really boring. Okay. <laughs> well, you may talk me into it, but I my thoughts were I've been up and down the Croatian coast four times, and I haven't been up and yeah. down the eastern coast of Italy one time, except I've been as far over as uh, you know down to Venice and uh, up to. Brindisi, that's the only part of that eastern coast I've ever covered. And uh, yeah, I thought, like well, maybe I should. Yeah. But you're telling me that it's pretty damn boring then, huh? It was a lot it was a lot of ships and a lot of flat coastline. There's no there was nowhere to hide as such. You're either going into port or you're hoping for an offshore breeze, you know what I mean? It was just mm-hmm. it was bland. Uh and in, in, in my view, and that's not necessarily meaning I'm sure guarantee you can find pockets of, of a lot of you know nice places to go but in my view they're more of um exploring a, a land spot as opposed to this is a um the sea, a, yeah. a feature yeah. yeah well i yeah. mean where i'm at it's an easy hop over to clear out of back into uh slovenia and then clear from slovenia out so that would be really easy yeah but, uh, yeah, maybe that's what I should do if I get over there this year. I don't even know what's going on. Yeah. What are you seeing from your charters that uh, that you've got lined up? Are they canceling? What's the story there? Um, yeah, the whole season is currently going down the toilet. Um, there's no sailing in the next two months. Everything's been canceled. Uh, we're just working on one more charter we have in June that um, – that looks like I mean they're a US they're a US family so it doesn't look like they'll be able to get here so that looks like that's cancelled as well and then basically all I've got left is two weeks in September and I'm hoping to book two weeks in October so um, sailing is in a monetary sense in a business sense is dead yeah tough year yeah this tough is, year this is a real tough year I mean it's for uh, my my plan was to fly over in the middle of uh, May and uh, do my couple months from May and come home in the end of July. Um, but the, I don't think I can even fly in because my flight was into Milan. And then uh, I was going to take about a week and drive around northern Italy. And <laughs> I think everything is pretty much shot from that perspective now. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, who, who knows how Italy's going to recover, but... Um... Yeah. yeah. All right. That's, so, that's, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I just about guarantee. You said you've sailed the coast of Croatia four times. Did you say? Yeah, yeah. I've been up and down four times. I've, I've wintered. Okay. I've wintered three years in um, in Dubrovnik, and one year. Where was it? One year up on uh, <laughs> up on what's in Tres Cres Cres Island. And okay. uh, yeah, and uh, so yeah, I've been up and down a lot. I thought, oh, let's do something different because you know I've been sailing in the Mediterranean since 1997 for two months every summer. Nice. So I try to I try to go somewhere else every year, and yeah, it's sort of like you know, I mean, it's wonderful, but I guess I just want something new. <laughs> That's what it amounts to. Yeah, well, fair enough. I, I, one thing that I really enjoyed, which I know is not 
north on the east coast of Italy. It was a bit further south, but sailing through the Messina Strait. Yeah. That was pretty magic. Have you done that? Yeah, I, yeah I, I went down through the Messina Straits. I spent uh, probably three weeks in the Aeolian Islands, and then we sailed down through Messina, and we went to Terramina and Catania. That was the year I was wintering my boat down in Malta, when Malta was not part of the EU. So that was me starting the time clock over in Malta. I love Sicily. Uh, in general, and Messina Strait is pretty cool. Did you see the uh, the sword fishermen out there with the big bow spritz when you went through there? No, we went through it um, at night, one we? in the morning. Oh. It, was a, it was it was a shame. Like we, <laughs> the timing was terrible. We, we we went past the Amalfi Coast at night mm-hmm. and then spent the day going down that rex bar, and then um and into the evening getting down close to Messina and went through the strait at one in the morning. So. Oh, you missed, you missed uh, the, the sights. They have these really weird yeah. boats with tall masts and long bowsprits, and a guy stands at the top of the mast in a crow's nest at the top of the mast and looks for, uh, for swordfish and directs the boat, and the guy on the end of the bowsprit harpoons them when they can find them, when they can sneak up on them. So, wow. yeah, it's really strange boats. I've never seen anything like them. There's long, long bowsprits that poke out the front of these boats and these tall masts. And, of course, they're motorboats, but, uh, yeah. 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 Huh. Oh, that's very cool. Um, shoot, I wonder, oh, no, they must do, like, if that's viable and commercial, they, they must be doing it in a, a fairly big, um, uh, like, uh, numbers. You know, they keep busy doing that, and it's only really doable in the day. Yeah, and they only seem to, I've only seen these in the Messina Strait, so that's a very geographically specific spot for them to do this at. So, yeah, it's crazy. I'd like to go back around there and look around some more. And I think that's the other thing is you've got to remember by the time that we were going through that part of Italy, we'd already got 3,000 miles under yeah. our belt, and we were just ready <laughs> to get back to Croatia and get home at that point. Um, but there's definitely a lot of that southern part of Italy that I would like to oh, go yeah. back and, and check out some more mm. uh, in better days. You know? <laughs> yeah, in yeah. better days. So you were going 24-7 then, is that right? Did you ever stop uh, and anchor or what's the story on we this? Did, um, unfortunately, we had to stop a lot more than I wanted to. Um, but the plan was always to stop at a few a few places. And the, the crew had kind of said to me, because you know, I was on a, on a working trip for me and on a budget, so... I couldn't stop at these places. They're like, hey, look, we'll spring for marinas because we want to see these places. So um, so we stopped in some some really cool places. Um, we got stuck in A Coruña uh, in Spain for a lot longer than I wanted to be. Um, if I'm not sure if you're watching the weather in and around the 5th to the 10th of February, um, those two big storms that were off the coast of um, of Ireland and out in the um, out of the Pacific, uh, sorry, out in the Atlantic, um, they were massive and they were down at like nine two three hectopascals, hmm. um, and that time was just just mental. They were producing these waves. We were getting six meter waves coming in to Acaronia. Uh, and we just, I just decided it wasn't worth trying to leave, leave that port or be on the coast in that with a brand new boat and a catamaran to say the least. I'm not a fan of catamarans. Um, so we got stuck in Akanonia for about four days, 
which was really frustrating. Cool place. I enjoyed but, it. <laughs> All right. So, it was I, fun. so I'm looking for this port you're talking about. Is that south of Barcelona, north of Alicante? Uh, Where are you talking about? No, it's right on the other tip of the Bay of Biscay. So we got, a, ah, we got around okay, Biscay, okay. and it's um, just before you get to Portugal. It's right on the, right on the corner. Okay. Um, Acarone, there yeah. it is. Okay. I was, I was looking at the Mediterranean side of Spain and not on the, uh, the yeah. Bay of Biscay. So we went straight from, straight from Las Sables de Lon, and we had to obviously down the coast, we had, we had to turn back for four hours because of this military practice area that was going on anyway, um, down past Bilbao and then, um, yeah, up into Acarone. We got in there. Um, after pushing some random 30-knot squall that hit us in the middle of the night, which got me out of my cot, but um, pulled into there at 2 in the morning, and, um, and the waves were just starting to really get up. Um, it was still very calm, though, so we did a lot of motoring the later parts of that night, but got in, and that was kind of like we needed to get in for the safety net. We didn't know which forecasting model was going to be right, but basically we had about eight hours to spare before we would have it on the nose at 35 knots. And then it was the waves that were coming the days later that were the issue. Okay. Yeah. And it looks like, so there's a couple marinas in there that you could have tucked into. And one looks very well protected up there in the, uh, the upper corner. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I thought. So we went to uh, Marina Caruña, mm-hmm. uh, which zoom right in is right, right deep down. There's the big break wall that comes out. Mm-hmm. And then it, and it wraps around, and then we were right up in there, Marina Coronia, um, which was an amazing place. <laughs> we arrived there at 3 in the morning. We radioed them all the way in. No one picked up. It was dead flat. And uh, we docked ourselves because there was just no one around. Um, eventually, a security guard down, came down and said, oh, it's not the radio wasn't working. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> we saw your car drive in. You were off at Burger King. Um so that would be great after that. Oh it? yeah. Oh, they were brilliant. They were brilliant. But, um, and the waves came in. I thought that was incredibly well protected. Um, uh, take a look at it later. There's a, there's a, a video on the channel called big waves in Marina Coruña. Um, we had them coming over that break wall and the dock was rocking around. Like I, I've never seen surf this big on the other side of the bay was breaking and crashing up the, I'd say the cliff there was around about 70 to 80 meters high. Um, and we were seeing waves from a distance, two or three breakers out hitting this coast. And the spray was reaching the top of the, the, um, the hill there. It was, it was insane. And watching it was just every day we stayed, the waves got bigger and bigger and you just kept looking at it. It kept on, planting more and more seeds of doubt in you to go, oh, we can't leave in this weather. Um, so that was um, that was pretty full on. And, yeah, those waves just crashing over this break wall, washing cars around, that was, um, that was pretty full on. <laughs> so you didn't feel comfortable even leaving your boat probably during that period of time? Yeah, surprisingly I did, though. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, the marina... Even though it was rocking around like that, it was fine. Like uh, it was rocking around surprisingly, considering how sheltered it was, because it was all reverberation off the um, off the other off the other cliffs. But um, but it, it was it was still safe, which was good. Um, there was one one day when I came back and I just sat sat with the boat just to make sure all the lines were good and the fenders were doing their jobs. But uh, other than that, I felt pretty good about the boat. Being there. It was more 
I need to get out of here. We need to make progress south with four days in. And I just kept looking at forecasts every day. Predict wind in the um, the the forecast models, the PwC models were predicting seven meter waves coming in. We left um, we left the day that they peaked. They peaked in the evening, and then they were supposed to be coming down, start start retreating by about 4 a.m. And then from there, we had our window before the wind came up, and uh, we could get around and down the coast a bit. So we actually left in six meter swells. Um, which were fine as it was because the period stretched out to about 13 seconds, so they were they were easy to deal with, uh, but but they were big. <laughs> well, you're on the Atlantic and you got the Atlantic rollers, so these were long space, probably not like Mediterranean waves, which are square waves, but oh. long spread out waves. Then, yeah. So I thought that would be the biggest waves I got on the trip. They ran the they ran the big wave surfing, the world big wave surfing competition in Nazareth. The day we sailed down the coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd all wish to have got down to Portugal to be able to go up and watch it. Um, but it just, just, I didn't, I didn't think it would be okay. Oh. And we'd actually heard a catamaran that did take off because there was a bunch of catamarans being delivered. One that did take off and went down there when they got there, because we all have to stop in to do a um, fifty to hundred hour service on the engines for the warranty, and. Um, and they stopped in and they got their service done. And the guys usually like, basically you do your service and you're supposed to do it at 50 hours, but they understand that you're coming from France. And um, they'll stamp it off and say it's good if everything's good. But if everything's not good, they have to put the right number on it. And these guys came in with water in both of their sail, um, in their sail drives um, and, and that had got in through the sail drives. And so the warranties were void. And basically I think they'd gotten to such heavy waves um, the catamarans are just up and down and slamming around. That it could have been, it could have been that that caused the stress on it. All right, we lost Nick. Uh, Skype went out. I'm going to cut it off right there, and we are going to start another interview and catch up with him some more. But this will be the end of this interview, and I'm going to continue on with another one because it sounds like Nick has a lot of stories to tell, but he just dropped off of Skype. And uh, we'll continue in another podcast. Thanks for listening. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.